what a good thing this is for a church and something that we hope to continue to do uh, throughout life in this church. You know, there are some churches that never have an opportunity to send someone out as a missionary or as a pastor or even a youth pastor, those types of things. They, they never see that. And, um, and we're really blessed as a church to be able to do this today. And things couldn't be better with Jimmy. He and his family are a part of Stapleton Fellowship Church. And uh, they, of course, are still part of it. Jimmy's on our elder board now, and we're glad for that. So if you're looking for what's really going on behind the scenes and, and Jimmy transitioning out into Horizons International, uh, there's nothing. It's just that. He is following God's call on his life, and we are so happy for that. So we couldn't be happier, like I said, to have Jimmy and his family as a part of our church continuing on and following God's leading in his life. So um, let's give Pastor Jimmy a warm welcome as he comes up this morning and brings a message for us today. Are you thankful for Barry Hughes? Wow, this guy. Yeah, give Barry a hand too. Um, what an amazing job he's done for our church in the last several months here. In these transitional times, I know I'm thankful for him. I know our elders are thankful for him. And, uh, man, just be blessed that, that Barry's with us. Hey, uh, again, my name is Jimmy Smith. If you didn't know me, I've served here at, at SFC for eight years. And uh, I've been doing uh, administrative work in the church to support my missions habit for a long time. And I always thought God would um, allow me to serve full-time in a cross-cultural uh, ministry kind of role. And over this last year that uh, came to fruition. And so I'm now at Horizons International, which is up in Boulder, Colorado. And if you've ever thought I'd be working for an evangelical missions organization in Boulder, that's as surprising to you as it is to me. Um, but it's a great organization. I'm happy to be up there. Um, and it is Muslim-focused ministry. Uh, it's not uh, completely um, selective, but it is focused at our work uh, with Muslims around the world. Horizon started about 25 years ago uh, by a man named George Husney, and, uh, who grew up in Lebanon, who came to Christ when he was uh, 14 years old, and by the time he was 16 was doing ministry uh, in Lebanon. He was not a Muslim, but he was out of a Greek Orthodox uh, tradition, but grew up in the Muslim world, went to all the Muslim schools, knew all of the Muslim language, all of those kind of things, and, and over his uh, early years in ministry became burdened and impassioned about uh, seeing Muslims come to Christ. And this was, a, this was quite a few years ago before a lot was happening uh, in, in Muslim ministry around the world. Um, you, you, know, you used to have missionaries uh, in the Muslim world, and if they saw one convert in the 10 years they were on the field, that was a win. Um, and today it has drastically changed. There are thousands and thousands of Muslims coming to Christ in unprecedented numbers, and we'll get into some of that in just a moment. But Horizons has about 80 staff worldwide. We've got a, a base in uh, Boulder. Uh, where the home office is at. There's a, a large center in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, George's son, Pierre, uh, is the MENA director over the Middle East and North Africa region. And we have 11 ministry centers uh, in Beirut right now in the middle of Hezbollah doing amazing ministry among Syrian refugees and working with the churches in that area to connect uh, new believers to the churches. We've got a, a ministry center in Morocco. We're trying to get one open in Tunisia. And there's all kinds of things happening around uh, the Middle East. Uh, we've got uh, a new office in China, in Hong Kong. We've got staff in Canada. We've got things going on in Southern Africa. And so there's lots of things going on around the world with Horizons. 
And there is an unprecedented movement of God among Muslims around the world. Uh, like I said, the, the numbers are shifting, um, and, and there is just great fruit uh, among Muslims uh, right now. We seek to evangelize Muslims and to equip God's people, the church, to evangelize Muslims. And so Horizons has a very broad scope. Uh, we've got uh, uh, you know, ministry centers that are happening around the world. And what I came on initially to do was the training coordination. We've got lots and lots of training programs that we do in the U.S. and around the world, uh, some for engaging the church to help them understand how they can do a better job of reaching Muslims. We've got uh, a great discipleship program for Muslim converts. It's a week-long intensive program where we fly them in, we bring them in from wherever they're at. We work with other organizations, send us your converts, and have a, a week-long uh, intensive discipleship program called Cubs to Lions. We do training for missionary candidates for other sending organizations. In Boulder, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had 15 people in from different missions organizations that did a two-week intensive training in Muslim ministry. And so that's where I came on to initially help, and I've also been able to move on to the director of operations role, helping out with the staffing things in Boulder as well. You hear almost every day now about Muslims in your life. You hear it in the news. You see it. In your own life, you hear about tragedies, you hear about violence, you hear about mistreatment, and you hear about the politics of it all. And you've heard about oppression in the face of Islam. Uh, this picture here with the three ladies on it uh, is just a stark picture of oppression. Um, I've heard we do a session on women in, in Islam, and it is insane the things that, that you don't know that women are facing uh, in Islam. You see war, you see atrocities, and you've come to understand ISIS. And the Islamic world is in a massive disarray. As a result of war, poverty, persecution, political factors, there's a massive refugee crisis that exists around the world, and Muslims are directly affected by this. And as a result, there's a great diaspora, there's a great scattering of Muslim people around the world. And in many ways, this scattering is actually creating opportunities for Muslims to encounter Jesus. Some have said that ISIS is the greatest evangelistic tool uh, for Muslims to come along. Because so much is happening just around that one particular topic that is moving people from their homelands and into areas where they can hear the gospel. And this great diaspora, this great scattering is affecting the United States too. The Muslim population in the U.S. is growing and is estimated to be at about 3.3 million. You see Muslims now in your everyday life. How many of you work with a Muslim? Okay. How many have Muslims in your schools, your kids, your PTA, <laughs> your little league team, your neighbors, in your neighborhood? We're seeing that most people have some interaction with a Muslim now in their weekly life. God has brought the unreached people God has bring, brought these unreached people to our backyard. If you understand anything about uh, Islamic culture and, and Muslim countries, it's highly, highly oppressive. Um, there's not a lot of openness. In some countries there are, in some countries there are not. You look, there's stark contrast between someone like, somewhere like Lebanon and somewhere like Saudi Arabia. Um, 
But there's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of undergroundness for the church because the church can't exist in many places. And it's in the form that you would, you would see in the, in the Western world. And God has been able to use the circumstances of this world to put Muslims in a different place in the world so that they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And it's horrific, right? Like the things that we see people going through, we see the tragedies, we see the, we see the uh, refugee crisis and all the, the imagery that we see, and it's, it sounds like it's far away. And it's, it's, it is far away, but it's also on our own shores. It's in our backyards. When I was in college 20 years ago, I studied missions, and you know the prayer was that God would send people into the 1040 window. And the 1040 window in, in missiology language is this, the 10th parallel and the 40th parallel that extend over the Middle Eastern world, which was where most of the least reached groups of people lived. And if you weren't going, if you were a missionary and you weren't going into the 1040 window, then you really weren't that great of a missionary, you know, that kind of thing. And so we were praying that God would send people into the 1040 window. And it seems one of the ways that God has answered that prayer is to bring people out of the 1040 window and into areas like the United States, Europe, Australia, other places in the world where there is freedom of religion and where there is the opportunity to hear about Jesus that had not existed before. And so through all of this craziness in the world, God is actually using this. And historically, Christianity has grown under persecution. And the church right now has a huge window of opportunity to reach Muslims for Jesus that was previously unimaginable. You see in the, the bottom right-hand corner of this picture, or the, this corner, uh, there's a group of, of Saudis right there. An opportunity that is, that is in place right now in the United States is that there are 125,000 Saudi students in U.S. universities. And they are here because the Saudi government is paying for them to be here. They scholarship them 100%, pay their food, housing, tuition, all of that stuff. Of course, the American universities love this. But there are Saudi students in the U.S. right now that have the opportunity to be reached with the gospel that previously did not exist. The opportunity that they might have to find Christ in the middle of Saudi Arabia is greatly increased by just their presence in the United States. And so we work with uh, student ministries around the, around the country that are working, international student ministries that are working with Muslim students and specifically Saudis to help engage them with the gospel and help disciple them so that when they go back, they're able to be witnesses and lights when they return to their home countries. There are opportunities for the church that exist that were previously unimaginable. 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, the church, believers, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. There is an amazing opportunity to be seized among Muslims in our world today. And to reach Muslims, the church must see every Muslim as a unique person with unique needs. Are all Christians the same? Do all Christians believe the same? Do all Christians act the same, dress the same? No. It's the same thing in in Islam. We must begin to see our Muslim neighbors and friends and co-workers as unique people with unique needs. We must rely on the Spirit of God to convict and to save. 
It is by God's Holy Spirit and through his conviction that people turn to Christ. Now, he allows us to make that appeal through us, right? But it's God who does the work. And then for us to know some basic factors for success and apply them to your ministry. So a basic biblical principle, just a couple things as we kind of start off on winning the hearts and souls of Muslims. Matthew twenty-two fourteen says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we know that some people that we present the gospel to will reject it. Scripture tells us that, and life bears that out. But that shouldn't stop us from making the attempt. Because there are people in this world, there are people that are in Islam right now, that God is working on their hearts. And if we never open our mouths to share that, we'll never have that opportunity to be that person for God, making that appeal. But just because we know that some will reject the message does not mean that we don't share when we can. And then this idea of distinguishing between Islams and Muslims. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We realize that Islam is a false religion, but we still must love Muslims as people. And the people that, that God created in his own image. He wants to see them reconciled to himself. Factors in conversion. A while back, Horizons did a survey, and I find this just fascinating. And here's the top five reasons, not in any particular order, of the factors that that were in place in the life of a, a Muslim convert prior to them coming to Christ. We call them CMBs or MBBs, a Christian from Muslim background or a Muslim background believer. Same thing. So this was a survey of several CMBs about what were the factors in your life prior to coming to Christ. I want you to look at this list, and I want you to think about what you think is the most effective factor and what was the least effective factor. Just think about that for a minute. All right, now I'm going to show you the least effective factor that these, not that it wasn't a factor, but it was the least of all of these five. Walking into church. The least effective thing that happened prior to them coming to Christ is that they walked into church. In other words, it just doesn't really happen all that much. We can't just hope that a Muslim is going to go, hmm, I wonder what's happening over there. I'm curious. Now, it'll happen a little bit, but it's by far not the most effective way for us to reach Muslims, I don't think. Next four, which one do you think might be next here? Any guesses? Literature, receiving videos, Bibles, things like that. In the back, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, we have Arabic New Testaments. Have one in your car. Just have it ready. It's right there. And and the the great thing about this one is it's side-by-side English, Arabic, so you can actually read it and have them read it in their own language. But 25% said prior to their conversion that receiving literature or a video or a Bible was influential in their decision to come to Christ. Now we got TV media, dreams and visions, and relationship with Christians. What do you think is next? I heard TV and media. 50% said TV and media were influential in their, their decision to come to Christ. Now this is interesting because in the Muslim world, there are some evangelistic efforts that are happening through uh, television specifically that are quite impactful. There's an organization called Sat7 that uh, George Husney, actually our president, helped to, to be a part of when it was getting off the ground years ago. Uh, that broadcast Christian television and messages into the, the Muslim world. 
And, and there is a lot, a lot of interest in that and a lot of conversions that are coming from that. Horizons has its own YouTube channel and Vimeo channel. And there's a lot of people that are seeking Christ that will find those, those videos and things online and begin to ask questions from that too. Next one, dreams and visions of Jesus' relationship with Christians. Dreams and visions. Anyone want to put a percentage on that? Wow, you guys saw my slide. 60%. Of Muslims that had come to Christ that had dreams and visions of Jesus. Now, I'm a good Baptist boy. And I haven't spent a lot of time focusing on, on dreams and visions in ministry life. It is, um, what's the word? It is undeniable that God is using dreams and visions to draw Muslims to himself. It is undeniable. There are stories, I hear stories all the time now. Uh, there was one here actually in Denver. We were at Grace Chapel doing an event a while back, and George was telling me a story of a young man several years ago that had had a dream or vision. And he, I believe he was from Saudi Arabia, and there was another girl from Saudi Arabia that was there helping George with the presentation that day. And she asked him if he'd had any dreams or visions, and he shared one with her. And he said there was this time where I was uh, in a dream, and I was, there was a man in white, and I was, I was walking on water towards him. And she said, oh, your dream's here in the Bible. And pulled out the Bible and showed him the story where Peter walked on the water and towards Jesus. And he eventually became a believer. And you hear stories like that where where he didn't know that story from the Scripture. He'd never read the Bible in that way. And so there are are ways that God is using dreams and visions in the Muslim world to do the work that only he can do. And lastly, 85%. 85% say that a factor in their conversion was the relationship with another Christian through hospitality, friendship, help with English, other needs. 85%. So should we just hope that they walk into our church? Or should we be walking to them and building that relationship to help people find Christ. You ready to drink from a fire hose for a second? We have lots of training, and this is going to just wet your whistle. But I want to give you some, some practical steps that you can use in your own life to engage the Muslims around you that God is bringing into your life. And number one is to pray. Ask God to lead you to someone who is open. Ask God to bring a Muslim into your life that you have the opportunity to talk with about the gospel. Pray for wisdom about how to approach your neighbor. Pray for boldness in sharing the truth. Is it a scary thing? Yeah. Evangelism is scary enough for people. Now we add this element of scary Muslims to it. Or so we think. Right? Because we've just been entrenched with the fear and the repercussions and the you know the political side of everything. It's just it's just pushed at us all the time. And we have to remember that Muslims are unique people in God's eyes, and he loves them dearly. And as a matter of fact, among Muslims right now, the, the, the sensitivity to the gospel is increased because once they're out of an oppressive society, and let's say they live in the U.S. and they meet a Christian, and, and there's lots of things that are different and create this question of, wow, I kind of like that. That's a very loving family. They talk about a God who loves them. They talk about uh, praying to their 
their God about their needs. And, and, and there, there's just different things that happen. And they start to see that there are some very attractive things about Christianity as opposed to what they've been under for all of their life in Islam. So pray for boldness in sharing the truth. Pray for a gentle spirit. Ask questions. Number two, ask questions. Don't interrogate. Be personal. Ask about their lives. Identify areas of struggle. And this question, have you ever had a dream of Jesus? That can open up a conversation that will blow your socks off. Have you ever had a dream of Jesus or a nightmare of hell? Have you read the Injil, which is the Arabic word for the gospel? Have you read, have you read the gospels? Have you heard this story that Jesus told? And, and pick a parable. How do you know whether you're going to heaven? These are all great questions that you can use to get into the life of someone and to start conversation, to start relationship. Three, listen genuinely before you speak. Listen to the personal needs and address them with a prayerful attitude. Don't answer questions unless you know the answer. Be willing to say, I don't know. Let me call Jimmy. We'll find out. Don't monopolize the conversation. Engage people in a discussion. Four, build a relationship. Do any of these things sound familiar? It's called just being nice. It's called being friendly. It's called being relational. And this works for, guess what? This works for Hindus. This works for Westerners. Build a relationship. Don't hit and run. Linger until you find an opportunity. Don't treat your friend as a project. You're just trying to check off your list. Don't let yourself be sidetracked with rabbit trails, and that can happen very easily because there are a lot of differences and a lot of questions. Offer to meet again, shopping, hiking, attending sports events, helping with English, helping with homework, any way that you can find a way to invest in the life of your Muslim friend. Invite him or her to your home for a meal. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate and probably shouldn't be anything elaborate. Just a normal meal among friends. Pray with them and for them in private and with their permission. When you discover some needs in their life, can I pray with you about that? Rarely will you be turned down. Don't argue. If you get into an argument, just stop. Let them say what they want and do not interrupt. Arguing people into the kingdom is minimally, minimally, minimally effective. I'm not going to say it's completely ineffective. There are some people that practice polemics among Muslims that are quite effective. But for us, arguing people into the kingdom is probably not the way to go. And after they say what they need to say, then you can say, are you ready to let me say something now I'd like to put into this conversation? And rather than argue back, give your testimony. Tell about any answered prayers, change lives, and answered prayers that are evidence by a living God. One thing George has told me when he, he'll do debates sometimes when he's uh, in parts of the world. And after they say their thing and ask all their questions, he, he basically just won't respond to any of it and just share the gospel. You know, that's a good point. But I think this is more important. And talk about these things. So it's, don't get caught up in rabbit trails if you get into those argumentative kind of things. And, and just keep it on a peaceful level. Find out what the good news is for specific people. If they've got a fear of God, a fear of Satan, of their fate, you can use the Bible to assure them of God's protection in their life. If they've got guilt and fear and judgment, speak of love and God's grace. If it's insecurity, speak of your identity in Christ. Family issues, find out about their family needs. 
this life's problems, show them that Jesus cares. Find whatever specifically is happening in their life and correlate it to God's answer for that. Use Scripture. Read the Bible with them. Don't just quote it from memory. Again, one of the great things about this is it's in Arabic and in English, side by side. So they can read it in their own language. Actually, George helped, our president helped uh, manage this translation about 30, 35 years ago. Put the Bible into their hands and have them read it. Tease them with it. Don't push it on them. Let them ask for a copy. Be great if they're, if they're actually asking for something like that. And give them a gospel. Give them a New Testament. Give scripture as a gift in a package. Bilingual scriptures are the best whenever possible. Offer to have a Bible discussion with them rather than using the word study. Share with one person at a time. Now this one is important when you're dealing with Muslims. If you can get individual conversations, it's much easier to have that conversation than in peer groups. If you've got three or four uh, Muslims and, and they're, they're, they're going to feel a lot of peer pressure about having that conversation. Uh, but if you can have those conversations one-on-one, it's much more effective. Watch and pray for the right time to ask your friend to accept Christ. Now, you might think that's a big step. And it is. But folks, we're the church. This is what the church does. It's not just Barry's job, Bill's job, the elder's job to help people find and follow Jesus. It's the church's responsibility. Read Ephesians 4 sometimes. And he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Invite your friends to church or home group. We'd love to have your friends come to church and sit and hear the gospel and to meet other believers. Invite them to a home group. And so these are some of the ways, and again, we've, we've really covered some of this quickly, but ways and practical steps that I want to encourage you. Maybe you weren't able to digest it all, but maybe you got a taste of, yeah, I could do this. This is something that that I could put into my life. This is something that I should be passionate about. The opportunity that is with us is incredible. It's never existed before in our lifetimes. And God has given the church a very interesting responsibility right now. Maybe he's done it because we were unwilling to go. Maybe he's had to bring them to us because we were unwilling to go to them. But for whatever reason, God has allowed this great opportunity to exist in our lives, and it is the church's responsibility to help win the hearts and souls of Muslims. There's a lot of bombs being dropped to stop the spread of Islam. The gospel will work much more effectively in stopping the advance of violence and persecution, tragedy and oppression. And we have that opportunity. We hold the truth in our hands, and God has brought people to our doorstep. It is possible for us to do this. In George's book, he says, Remember that true love is taking a step towards someone. Sadly, 60 to 80% of international students living in the United States never get invited into an American home, let alone a Christian home. Many Muslims living in the U.S. are seeking friendship from anyone who will offer it. If we will simply be a friend to them, we may be able to introduce them to our friend, Jesus. So think about that. Be in prayer about that. Is there someone in my life that is there for a reason? Is there a Muslim that I work with? Is there a neighbor 
someone in my little league that needs to hear about Jesus. And for whatever reason they're here, maybe it's work, maybe it's a refugee status, any of those reasons. Believe it or not, people are searching for the truth. And they're not finding it in Islam. They are working and working and working every day their relationship with God. And if you ask someone if they know that they're going to heaven, there is zero assurance because they're working every day to make it happen. Their God is distant from them. Their God doesn't live among them, doesn't live in their hearts, but he is he's almost otherworldly. He's separated from man. We have a God who's a father God who loves us. And especially for women to, to, to see that um, piece of the puzzle when it comes to God as a, as a father and someone who loves them is mind-blowing. And it breaks hearts and it breaks minds and it breaks through the power of Satan to keep holding on to them. We can do it, church. We can win the hearts and souls of Muslims. And there's a lot more that we could talk about this stuff. In the back today, there are some resources. If you'd like to delve further into some of these topics, there's uh, a book which George wrote, George Husni, our president. Uh, that's kind of our signature uh, topic. There's an engaged course book for $30. There's an audio DVD back there with 102 hours of teaching. We used to do a four-week intensive. They recorded it all at one time. And so there is a ton of information on that disc. There's also a thumb drive that has the same content. You can get either one of those. And then this Arabic-English, I should be holding these things up. There's the DVD. There's George's book. This is the Engage course book, and then um, these Arabic-English New Testaments, which are great to have as well. So I'd love for you, if, you, if you'd like some more uh, resources, things like that, those are in the back. And I would challenge you also, uh, Horizons International's uh, website, and then also through our uh, YouTube page. Um, there's lots of videos and things on there uh, that you can use to equip yourselves as well, or maybe share with someone that you know could use this information as well. Can we pray? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have in our service today to honor and lift you up and glorify you. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing right now among Muslims in the world. There are unprecedented numbers of Muslims that are coming to Christ, and we know that's the answer. And so help us as a church to have that focus, to have that idea that we can do this. It is possible to remove the fear, to remove the hesitations, and allow us individually to see people as you see them, And help us practice that ministry of reconciling people to you. God bless SFC. God bless Horizons and our time to follow. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you know, I still have uh, memories of my childhood growing up in a church-going environment. And I had a stereotyped image of a missionary. As a kid, a missionary to me lived in Africa in the jungle. Or South America, they wore one of those safari hats. They had tan shorts and lived in a thatch hut. That was my vision of a missionary, kind of a stereotype image. Well, I, maybe some do live that way today, but I suspect most modern missionaries have a different set of environmental uh, surroundings. I know my sister was a missionary for a while, short-term missionary in Africa, and she worked out of an office building in downtown Nairobi 
funny story about that concerning praying for missionaries. My mother was one who was always concerned about our little country church. In over a hundred years, that church had never commissioned a missionary. They'd never had an opportunity to do what we're doing here this morning. And then came the day when my sister called home after graduation and said, I've been accepted as a missionary to Kenya, Africa. And my mother had a heart attack. I didn't mean our family. <laughs> Be careful what you pray for. And then later on, my wife and I were commissioned as missionaries to serve in Alaska. And uh, I remember at our commissioning ceremony in Kansas City after training, one of the appointees said to me, isn't it kind of unusual? Here you are going back to the area you call home to be a missionary. You're going to be a missionary in the place where you where you live. Well, he had that same stereotyped image of a missionary going off to a foreign land. Some people might have that same question for Jimmy. He's become a missionary without moving. Kind of reminds me of both Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have that story of Nehemiah who asked the king if he could go back to his homeland rebuild the city, rebuild the wall. And the king granted his request and offered assistance for that. In a sense, Nehemiah became a missionary in the area that he called home. Jimmy has made it very clear to us in the past that his heart has always been in missions. His education was focused that way. And now he has an opportunity to serve that passion in his homeland, but with a global influence. We at SFC are delighted because he's still here, part of our fellowship. Indeed, he's still part of our leadership. He is an elder. He's helping us with our bookkeeping. He's very much, he and his family are very much integrated here, and we do appreciate that. But he has now turned his ministry career focus to support and train people who will be serving in other lands, people who will be encountering encountering others who have a different spiritual mindset, mostly Muslim people. And certainly in this time we're living in, we all see the need to introduce those of the Islamic faith to our gracious Christian God. So Jimmy will now use his church experience, his organizational skills, his gifts to equip others to go out. That's every bit as important as going to the field yourself. His new duties will be every bit as challenging as his old duties. He's going to have to deal with personalities, with personnel issues, with financial challenges, both organizationally and personally, with technology, with travel. He's going to need our prayers, our encouragement, and our support. But how exciting for us and for him to be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. When Nehemiah asked the king to go to his homeland, the king not only granted his request, but offered all the assistance that he could in providing materials and, and things that he would need. So we would like to send Jimmy out with all the support and the assistance that we can offer. We know that he's going to represent SFC 
and the kingdom of God well. So congregation, there's a charge for us here to support Jimmy and his family, to hold them up in prayer, to be aware of and sensitive to their financial needs, to fellowship with them, to assist in any way we can. And it's not just Jimmy impacted by this. His entire family will be involved. And Amanda, as we know, is a very supportive wife and one who's also following a calling of her own in education, a calling that will help support them in this mission effort. And Jimmy, we know you're already serving in your new calling. And we as a church would like to officially do what the church at Antioch did when they charged Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. Chapter 13 of Acts begins in verse 1, listing some of those who were in attendance in that assembly, including the leadership. And verse 2 and 3 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And I suspect that the sending them off included a charge to them. Again, back in the Old Testament, when Moses commissioned Joshua to succeed him in leadership, Deuteronomy says Moses laid his hands on him. And right after that, there was a charge from the Lord himself to, to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. In other words, follow the scriptures that I have given you. And so, Jimmy, our charge to you is to stay true to the word of God and to your calling, the calling that God has called you to. There's no doubt in our mind of your calling. We know you have a passion for it. I don't know if you caught it or not, but Jimmy has already been promoted in his new organization. He left us to become the training coordinator at Horizons. Now he's the director of operations. What does that tell you about Jimmy? So what we would like at this time is um, if you and Amanda would come to the front, on the floor here in front of the stage, we as a church would like to formally commission you to service. I'm going to ask our staff and then later any in the congregation who would like to come forward, if the staff would come forward now to lay hands on Jimmy and Amanda. And then some of you who are in the congregation who feel comfortable doing that, if you would come and surround them. And, and I realize not everybody, there may be not room for everybody, but those of you who would like, if you could come surround Jimmy and Amanda, lay hands on them, maybe just by extension, whatever. We're going to have Elder Mike Crowell lead us in a prayer of dedication. And after that, uh, Pastor Barry has uh, some documentation that he would like to give them some formal commissioning. So, um, Mike, where are you? Father God, we, we just want to stop this morning and say thank you for the, the time that Jimmy and Amanda have been a part of the church and and been helping out with everything that they've done in their leadership and just their presence. We know that they've helped helped a lot of people do a lot of things. And Father, we, today we ask that you 
help them on their new mission that they've got, that you've given them. We thank you for this new mission. Um, where Jimmy will be helping people around the world, and Amanda, she's going to go and and start teaching the the minds of the of the youth. So, Father, we ask today that you give them your protection, give them your guidance, give them endurance to do everything that you would have them to do. Protect them always and every day. Give them guidance to do the mission that you would do and stay with them through all their days until you have completed your mission in their lives. It is in Jesus' holy name that we ask for these things. Amen.